Welcome to Air Quality Matters. It's just me this week. I thought, as we were five episodes in, and I've been doing this now for just over a month, it was a good chance to pause, reflect on some of the conversations I've been having and catch up with you. So how are you doing? It's something that's been really interesting for me, uh, something I've been thinking about doing for probably over a year. Um, You see, I sit in this really interesting middle ground between academia, industry and policy. And I get to have these conversations that go down some amazing rabbit holes with unbelievable professionals in their field. And it occurred to me for a long time that some of these conversations might be quite fun to record and share with a wider group of people. So that's been the plan for this podcast. The idea is been to have a mix of people on the podcast from academia and industry, people making sensors and managing data and fixing ventilation systems, and people from policy as well, the people writing the regulations and standards that we all have to stand to. All of these people at the heart of air quality and ventilation in this sector. So the format has been to have open conversations with people, conversations that have time to dive and drill into some of the technical subject matter that we don't get to see in editorials and and articles. And we don't get to have in passing with people at conferences and exhibitions. So it's been really fun having these conversations as they always are for me. And I, I hope you've found the conversation's interesting in some way. Do let me know how you've been finding them. It's been fun learning about how to pull these podcasts together. Yeah, there's a bit of work, all right, in editing them post-production and getting them up onto the platforms. Uh, But that's all part of it. And I, I have to say, I've really enjoyed that. But let me know how you found the format. They are quite long. They're conversations like a lot of my conversations that tend to go on quite a while. Um, But they're subject matters that I find interesting and the guests, quite frankly, are are world class. I've got some really cool people coming up over the next few weeks that should see us through to the new year. But I'd love to hear from you. Who should I be speaking to and what should we cover? Let me know. If you cast your mind back all the way to the first episode with Max Sherman, one of the things I was talking about with him amongst many things, and if you haven't heard it, it's always worth listening to Max. I think he has a brilliant take on this kind of subject matter. But one of the things we were discussing was his hopes and aspirations for the next 10 years. He had this interesting idea that he he wanted the industry to be talking about air quality rather than ventilation by the time you got to 80. I really like that aspiration. And I think as we move beyond ventilation standards and the the performance of systems when we hand them over to the ongoing air quality outcomes of the spaces we occupy, I think that's a really interesting framing of, of how we should be viewing our spaces. And it seems like a natural evolution in a lot of ways, as he pointed out from our discussion on the origins of acceptable and and adequate air quality and ventilation. From the process 
many moons ago of just trying to manage smoke in our buildings that we didn't choke, quite frankly, from the fires and cooking that we did indoors, eventually starting to move towards ventilation flow rates and standards for the principle of managing odour from us and the, the things we did in buildings, and eventually starting to think about health and infection control at the turn of the last few centuries, particularly with TB and other pandemics that came round, as we saw in schools and hospitals, really starting to think about airflow, to the now more modern tussle of the last few decades of this balance between energy costs and ventilation flow rates that we see. And now his hope, uh, as, as is mine, that we move from ventilation to air quality. His early work, now taken up by many others, really frames this, I think, and this new era of air quality and harm, as we discussed with Ben Jones a couple of episodes ago. And again, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, really well worth a listen. I think it's a really interesting new take on how we frame the harm that air quality can potentially do us. And one of the things that I've been saying now for many years is that particularly in the last half a decade or so, we're moving into this new era of being able to see the air that we breathe in our spaces like never before with the evolution of monitoring air quality and certain pollutants with low cost sensors that are connected to the cloud is really changing everything. It's my firm belief that within the next decade, there won't be many spaces that people occupy that aren't being monitored for thermal comfort and indoor air quality parameters. And that doesn't really leave a lot of places to hide. We'll start to move from being assessed on the performance of the spaces we hand over at construction to the ongoing performance of the spaces that we occupy and manage. But as we race into this new era, we also have to be cognizant of the limitations that we face, particularly with technology. What will we measure? What kind of pollutants are we actually going to be interested in? And how will we measure them? Field monitoring for anybody that's done it over the last few decades knows how hard it is to get right and get accurate data back that's meaningful. As we move from more basic metrics around comfort and temperature and moisture um, to even the more recent monitoring of some proxy pollutants like CO2 and TVOCs to specific pollutants of concern like particulate matter and formaldehydes and nitrogen dioxide and so on. How will these devices improve and become more accurate and affordable? And most importantly, how will we frame what they tell us in a way that's actually useful for people? Can it be automated? Can it be visualized and framed in a way that people can make changes to spaces and changes in behavior that get better outcomes that we desire? And ultimately, we have to remember what this is for, who it's for, and move beyond these shiny aspirations of a LinkedIn headquarters or a Deloitte building in New York. In many cases, the vast majority of our built environment are not buildings like that. The vast majority of us spend our time in our homes, in offices that are above shops on high streets or above 
retail units or industrial complexes. And often what they're going to be telling us, as we've found out from our conversations with the likes of Nathan Wood, is that it would just be telling us something that we know already. And that is we face a challenge in resourcing and fixing and maintaining our existing ventilation systems and indeed upskilling the trades to be able to do that. Look, data from the built environment is exciting for a number of reasons. And I get excited about it as much as the next person. It's potential for scale, the interest of longitudinal monitoring of data where we can start to see trends, we can start to pick up outliers and patterns. And certainly with the introduction of artificial intelligence, we're going to start to see that unlocked and empowered like never before. But a bit like health wearables, your Whoop or Garmin or whatever you wear, if you're serious about your health, as indeed your building health, you need to look after the fundamentals. No more than a watch will go out for a walk or a run for you or go down the gym. An IoT device won't maintain your ventilation system. You still need to resource and care about the health of your building in order to get a good outcome. Technology alone isn't going to do that for you. And perhaps a little bit like your own health, you probably want to go and see a doctor from time to time and get a blood test or something. And likewise for data from our buildings, it's only going to get us so far. At some point, you're probably going to need a professional to come in and diagnose exactly what constitutes the makeup of air in a space beyond what a low-cost sensor can tell you. So as with our health, this tech, as fascinating as it is, can make this environment much more sexy and interesting than it's been before, create desire and demand for better air quality outcomes. But we also have to start talking about air quality and ventilation and frame it in a way that delivers good outcomes and in a way that's enough for people to care. Why is that? Well, if you're lucky enough to live to 80 years of age, you're likely to spend 70 of those years indoors. 55 years of that time in your own home. So look, regardless of whether the air quality outside is good or bad, the vast majority of your exposure to environmental pollution that you breathe in will occur indoors. This stuff is important to us all. The challenge with ventilation and air quality is it is complex. To get good outcomes is a combination of air chemistry and building physics and engineering and social science and behaviour change. There's a lot going on and it can seem overwhelming. And we don't do ourselves any favours. We can make this stuff sound complicated. So where do we start? How do we actually start delivering better outcomes? Because God knows we need to do better than we're doing at the moment. Well, as Tyler Smith, the VP of Johnson Controls Healthy Buildings, talked about on the podcast a few weeks back, there are only so many levers we can pull in a building. Yes, in these advanced, headquartered, Deloitte-type buildings, those levers can be many. They can include incredibly advanced building management systems and automation. But in the vast majority of the stock we occupy, 
those levers are quite limited. There's only so many we can pull. And actually, if you think about it, the limitations on those levers that we can pull are perhaps the key to unlocking how we start framing and talking about this better. Let's take homes, for example, where most of our exposure occurs to pollutants. If you think about it, the levers that we pull there effectively boil down to just a handful. Those are local exhaust ventilation, that's cooker hoods and extracts in bathrooms and toilets and so on. Good solid background ventilation that clears the buildup of pollution over time. Source control, not bringing certain pollutants into our home if we can help it in the first instance. And behaviour change. It's one of my favourite subjects to talk about is how we start actually controlling risk in the built environment. And I often talk about the hierarchies of control. But they effectively frame these levers really well for us. We have to try and eliminate risk and substitute that risk, predominantly in the home through source control. There's not many other mechanisms for that. When we move on to engineering controls, the next most efficient way of protecting us against risk, we're really dealing with the ventilation system. And then it comes down to behavior, if you like, administrative controls. So let's break a couple of those down. Exhaust control. What do we actually mean in a home when we talk about exhaust control? Well, let's think back to the conversation we had with Ben Jones when we talk about harm in the home. The vast, vast majority of the harm that's caused to us in the home, according to Ben's work, comes from the pollution that we cause through cooking, whether that's the particulate matter and the VOCs we create while we cook or the products of combustion with the mechanisms we use to do the cooking. So how do we control that kind of a risk? Well, we do that with decent cooker hoods. And therein lies the rub. Cooker hoods is something that's typically been an afterthought in most residential settings. They may be an aesthetical consideration. If you're building a country kitchen, you might have a hood that suits that kind of style or a modern city kitchen might have a hood that suits that style. But these products are often specified by kitchen fitters and kitchen designers. They're not often specified by the people that have responsibility for the performance of that building. When was the last time you saw a specification on a drawing for the acoustic and flow rate performance of a cooker hood that should be issued? There's enormous potential for innovation in this sector. Cooker hoods that have decent capture efficiency don't sound like jet engines when you turn them on, have some form of demand control or automation that every time they start to sense particulate matter or VOCs, they start to wind up and protect the occupants from the build-up of those types of pollutants. We have to change the mindset, in my opinion, on how we value exhaust control, particularly in kitchens. But it's not just limited to kitchens, of course. Many, many of the problems we see with condensation, damp and mould in housing 
particularly in the UK, we've had enormous problems with that over the last couple of years. And now a lot of pressure being brought to bear on the housing industry to solve this problem. Many of those problems stem from having inadequate exhaust control in those wet areas that effectively remove moisture at source. We've never really valued intermittent extract fans, which constitute the vast majority of the exhaust control out there in those wet areas. They've been the cheapest possible products you can throw in there, replaced like for like, year on year, never worked before, don't work now. Then we have background ventilation. The ventilation, the general ventilation that's designed to stop the buildup of background pollutants over time that we're exposed to over the longer term. It's not a complicated thing to determine. If we just take my part of the world, Ireland, the UK, Scotland and Wales, the way that those background ventilation rates are calculated are largely the same and have been for years. They predominantly come at the problem from two angles. The first is based on how many people are likely to occupy that space. The more people in a space, the more moisture and pollutants that they produce. It's a very sensible calculation. In Scotland, it's based on the amount of habitable spaces. In Ireland, for example, it's based on the number of bedrooms or the number of people that are likely to occupy those bedrooms. So, for example, in Ireland, it's five litres a second plus four litres a second per person. And you take it that the first bedroom has two people in it, the second bedroom has two people in it, and any subsequent bedroom has one person in it. The great thing about that calculation is you can make a considered judgment on the amount of people that are likely to occupy that space and up the background ventilation rate accordingly. Now, this is never done in practice, but should be. The other way of calculating background ventilation rate or the general ventilation rate is based on the size of the property. And that's the same pretty much everywhere. We're trying to achieve somewhere around half an air change an hour. Even in very modern, nearly zero energy buildings or passive house buildings, the target is somewhere between 0.3 and 0.5 air changes per hour. So that calculation is done the same in most jurisdictions. It's 0.3 litres a second per square metre. And that roughly equates to half an air change an hour. So we take these two numbers, the number derived from the likely number of occupants and the number derived from the size of the property and whichever number is biggest we use that number because we then know we're dealing with the other risk as well really really straightforward yet as nathan wood in our conversation described why is it every time we go into properties we see properties massively underventilated a recent study done up in scotland less than a year ago showed well over half the properties that were built within the last couple of years significantly being underventilated. It's not like the maths is hard. So something is falling down in the supply chain and how we value the products that we're putting in there that mean we're not delivering adequate ventilation, adequate background or general ventilation rates. Why is that? <laughs> 
Well, that's often because there's a detachment, in my opinion, between what is a theoretical measurement of flow rates and the people that are just specifying the same old fan or products that they've always specified because it's the cheapest or it's the relationship they have with that particular manufacturer. That's got to change. We've got to start specifying performance for our buildings and putting that front and center rather than just specifying systems or equal or approved as we often see in the contracts. Then we move on to source control. How do we start to manage source control in our homes? Well, one of the things we can do in the programs for things like retrofit or new builds is slowly start removing combustion devices, as we are doing, to be fair, from homes. If you don't have combustion devices in your home, the likelihood of exposure to things like nitrogen dioxide is significantly reduced and limited then principally to the amount of nitrogen dioxide in the environment outside the home. But we can also start thinking more constructively about how we build our homes and what we build them out of, paying much closer attention to the off-gassing and the chemicals that are used in construction products. As we saw from Ben's work, formaldehyde, even though we've seen it significantly reduce over the last few years in a lot of products, is still one of the principal pollutants of concern. But we have to start framing that much better for people in the home to be making sensible decisions about the things they bring into their home. It's not a builder's fault that a homeowner chooses a carpet that has high levels of off-gassing in it. But we can frame and provide information people to be able to make sensible decisions. Maybe that's something that could be part of the handover pack. And finally, we move on to behavior. Behavior is the tricky one. And we've been very poor in the past in this community at framing and educating users of the spaces that we build and manage in a way that they get the most out of the systems that they have to manage. I often talk about it, but one of the big studies that was done on indoor air quality in new homes, and actually I'm going to be interviewing Ian Mordit, who was one of the authors of that uh, document, uh, probably nearly five years ago now. One of the big takeaways for me out of that study, notwithstanding the really poor compliance rate of those buildings, it was something like 90% non-compliance. But even if those homes had been compliant, which they weren't, on first visit, the vast majority of those homes were being used in a way that even if the ventilation systems were working properly, they would not have given the results you'd have wanted to because of the use of those systems. So we've got a very long way to go in general. We've got to improve the quality of the product that we give to people, but we've also got to frame it much, much better if we're going to get the kind of outcomes that we want. And going back to what I was saying earlier about this new era of measuring air quality, don't be under any illusions. Within the next decade, those buildings will be starting to give feedback loops on the performance of those spaces. 
and you will not be judged on whether your building was compliance on handover. Brands and organisations will live and die by the ongoing performance of the spaces that they manage and build and products that they sell. And I can't imagine that a housing association, for example, is going to stick with a brand for very long if they find that the data that they get out of their homes is poorer as a result of that brand than another brand. Can you? So look, bit of a short episode this week. Just wanted to catch up with you guys and reflect on some of the conversations I've been having and some of the topics we've been discussing over the last few weeks. I hope you found the podcast interesting. Don't forget to watch out for next week's podcast. I've got a really interesting conversation around schools and indoor air quality you won't want to miss and some really good guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. And keep listening.